Welcome to Free Christian Church of God's Audio Outreach Ministries. For more information regarding the Audio Outreach Ministries or to order past messages, please contact the church office at area code 419-596-3103 or visit our website at www.freecog.org. And now, here's Reverend James Fry with today's message. Luke chapter 4. You get there, lift your Bible in the air. Say it along with me. This is my Bible. It's God's infallible word. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the word of God. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. My mind is alert, and I will never... I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. I got ahead of myself there. Luke chapter 4. I'm glad you fixed it for me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus speaking. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set free them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Father, I pray for your anointing over the word today. God, it is so special. It is so special. Lord, I've been doing this a long time. And I am still amazed that I can sit down and open your word and you can show me something I have never seen before and stir my spirit with a message that only can come from you. God, I pray today that as we approach the word, God, we'll do it with reverence and with awe. Understanding that we're not just here to be entertained, we're not just here to hear a story. But God, we're hearing the word of the living God. The same word that spoke creation into existence. And the very same word that can transform our lives. Father, thank you today for allowing us the privilege of hearing from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. It seems these days that everybody wants something for nothing. They want free money. They want free health care. <laughs> I signed up for Medicare last week. I will be 65, and you're supposed to sign up about 90 days before your birthday. I signed up for Medicare. It took me two minutes on the phone. I've gotten 1,000 phone calls from insurance agents trying to help me. It took me two minutes on the phone. And I told the elders today, I said, you know, March the 1st, mine kicks in. I'm going to go to my doctor, and I'm going to tell him, check everything from the top of my head to the soles of my feet and send the bill to Uncle Sam. Y'all old folks know what I'm talking about. We want free health care. People want a job where they don't have to go to work, but they can stay at home and still draw a paycheck. They, they don't want to take responsibility for the problems that they create in their own self-inflicted troubles, but they want somebody to come along and bail them out. Do you remember the bailout of 2008? How many of you remember that? Fondly, right? I, I can't believe that it's been 15 years ago. Things are so much better now. 
I'll wait for you to catch up, all right? We were told that the bailout program aimed to stave off the country's mortgage and financial crisis while stabilizing the economy. It became commonly known as the bank bailout because it bailed out many banks that were on the verge of collapse, which generated a lot of controversy. The people who had the money and who had lost the money got the money. I try to look at life through Scripture. I, I believe that no matter how out of control the world gets, God still has it all in the palm of his hand. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to stress out about it. So I go to my Bible, and I try to see everything through the eyes of the Word of God. Did you know that bailouts are biblical? Oh, now I got your attention, right? As a matter of fact, God was the very first to institute a bailout plan, and he commanded that this bailout was to be done on a regular basis. Every 50 years, God commanded his people to have a year of jubilee. Now, the word jubilee means manifestation of joyousness because jubilee was an event of great joy. I can only imagine the celebrate when the year of jubilee kicked in. People would be dancing in the streets, they would be singing, and they would be laughing and rejoicing. Sounds good, doesn't it? Everybody likes a party. In Leviticus 25.10, God said, And you shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim freedom throughout all of the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession, and you shall return every man unto his family. God knew that man, left to his own selfish ways, would always create a mess that would be too big for him to clean up. God knew our fallen nature, and he understood that in man's depravity, he would eventually create a mess too big to clean up and incur a debt that would be too big for him to pay off. God understood the lust of man's flesh and how in that desire to appease his flesh, he would enslave himself to every temptation that he thought would satisfy the emptiness that was in his soul. God knew that it was a path of self-destruction, so God created a way out. He created an emergency exit, an opportunity for everybody to start over. Left to ourselves, we have created some messes that are now too big to clean up. Some of you are living in that mess right now. You've lived a life of bad decisions, which has led you to bad actions, which in turn have created for you a mess that now seems impossible to fix. You can't undo your past. No matter how much you regret it, you can't fix what you have broken. If that's you, I want you to listen closely to the Word of God today. Through Jubilee, God created a way for people to start their life over. Wouldn't you like to start over? Wouldn't you like to start over? You know, as I've gotten older and I look back over the years of my life, there are things that I would do differently. If I had the opportunity, there are things that I would change. There are approaches I would take. You know, when we were first married, we were young. We started having family. You wanted to be that perfect parent, right? So you tried really hard with the first one or two. By the time we got to Jacob, we just let him raise himself. We figured, we, figured, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. But looking back on it, you know, you, you, there was a struggle to make ends meet. There was a struggle for a paycheck, to pay the bills, to do all that. And, and there were so many things that we're trying to iron out. If I, but as I look back now, I can see what was more important than other things. I can see where may, I, maybe I wasted time that I thought I was spending wisely. And so I'd like to do it over again. 
Through the Jubilee, God created a way for people to start their life over. Instead of suffering through their final years, instead of parents passing on to their children and to their grandchildren the penalty of their mistakes and their terrible judgment, instead of passing on a curse and a debt and a slavery, God made a way for everybody to begin again. He created a way for the slate to be clean, uh, the debt to be forgiven, and for everything to be reset for a fresh start and a new beginning. Oh, I'd like that. I'd like that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just turn back the clock and make better choices? Wouldn't it be great if somehow you could erase all of your mistakes and all of your blunders and just begin again? The year of Jubilee only occurred once every 50 years. Now, this is important. The year of Jubilee was a year of universal release for person and property. If anybody owed a debt, the debt was canceled. If anyone was enslaved because of the debt they had incurred, they would be set free. Now, if you think about it, Jubilee dealt with both ends of the spectrum here. Knowing that Jubilee was coming and all debts would be canceled, there would obviously become a point in time when debt would be difficult to get into. Nobody was going to lend money to, uh, to someone if they knew that in a year or so they weren't going to be obligated to pay them back. MasterCard, Discover would have gone out of business. For those who were the bankers, for those who were the lenders, there would come a point in time when they didn't want anybody to owe them money. It was a complete economic reset. Now, on top of this, the year Jubilee was established as a means of release for those whose lives were consumed with work, as well as for the benefit of the land. So for an entire year, all work ceased. Amen, right? The land set on tilled and unseated places of employment closed their doors. Even plants that grew and produced fruit on their own could not be harvested. Nobody was excluded from Jubilee. No one was too good or too bad, too rich or too old or too, too poor. But Jubilee meant deliverance for everybody. Everybody got a fresh start. Everyone got a second chance. Everyone got a new beginning. Everyone got this bailout. No one owed anybody anything. Their mortgage was canceled. Their car payment ended. Uh, their college bill was erased. I'm just trying to put this in terms that you can identify with. Their credit cards were dropped to zero balance, and if that wasn't enough, for the next 12 months, they didn't have to work. I'm studying this and wondering, who was the idiot that canceled this thing? And yet as a great deal of a deal as it was, Jubilee only occurred once every 50 years meaning that it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, sometimes we only get one shot. Sometimes we only get one chance or one opportunity. Sometimes we have to take advantage of the moment. If we hesitate, we're lost. If we pause, we miss it, and the opportunity passes us by, never to come around again. We're all familiar with what has been going on in recent years with our economy and with the stock market. It never ama ceases to amaze me as I'm driving into Defiance during the day. One day you go in and gas is $2.99. The next day you go in it's three sixty nine. dollars have no idea what happened overnight. But we're all familiar with what's going on. Those of us who thought we would have enough set aside in our 401k to retire are now looking at becoming a Walmart greeter. I've been practicing. Hello, welcome to Walmart. <laughs> Wall Street is having financial problems. 
because the thieves who reside there, who had been stealing the money from the rest of us for years, finally figured out that they have all of our money, so they started stealing money from each other. Greed is the root of all evil. The Bible nailed it when it says greed. The love of money is the root of all evil. Back in 2008, the American people were told that the financiers of this nation needed $700 billion to fix the problem. I'll just pause for a minute and let you try to wrap your mind around that figure. The people who caused the problem needed $700 billion to fix the problem. But they couldn't guarantee that if they got the money, it would work. I don't think Las Vegas would have taken odds on that one. Now, I'm not a mathematician or a CPA or a politician. I'm just a dumb old preacher. But I've always heard that our country was in debt. We have something that's called the national debt that is in the trillions of dollars and it's going up every second of every day. So I'm thinking, how can we give money away money or how can we loan money if we don't have any money? Hold that thought too because I'll come back to it. Several times in the past few years, our, our trusted politicians have raised the debt limit so that the government wouldn't have to shut down. You, know, you see this on the, oh, the government might have, have to shut down. <gasps> I think if they shut down, we might find out we don't need them. I don't know. But <coughs> they have enslaved us deeper in debt to fix our problem. Are you getting this? They're creating a mess that will eventually be too big for us to clean up. They tell us that they have to do it or the government will shut down. Now, I don't know if you know how all of this works, but when there's a government shutdown, federal agencies are required to classify their employees as essential or non-essential. We went through that with COVID, didn't we? The employees classified as essential continue to work during the shutdown. However, the employees classified as non-essential are put on an unpaid furlough. What that means is the politicians and federal judges still draw a paycheck while regular Joes and Janes are out of luck. Those who asked for the $700 billion bailout promised us that we would not, it would not only help Wall Street, but that it would also help Main Street. Well, I live on Grove Street. <laughs> I, it, it got to Wall Street, and some of it might have made it to Main Street, but I assure you that none of it ever turned the corner and came by my house. I did some math. I took the $700 billion and I divided it by the 300 million Americans that are in this country, and I came up with $2,333 per person. To the average family of five, that would be $11,667. I could use that, couldn't you? Now, I'm not a financial expert, but it seems to me that if they would have given that money to us regular folks, mortgages would have been paid, car loans would have been paid off, some people would have invested in a new house or a new car, the money would have gone back into the system, debt would go down, the economy would have blossomed. It seemed to me that if the government did want to do some good with all of that money and help our economy, they would have just given the money to us regular folks. But you see, this world system is not set up to get us out of debt, but it is designed to keep us in debt, to keep us obligated, and to keep us enslaved. He said, what does this have to do with the Bible? This is Bible. We've been brainwashed into having an indebted mindset that has ultimately enslaved us, and we are in desperate need of deliverance. 
It's the way of our world, but it's the satanic lies that tells us that, that how we should live our life. But it's a mindset of bondage which leads to slavery and eventually leads to poverty and then to destruction. Debt is dumb. Debt is dumb. But our thinking has been so skewed that we stress out over our ability to go in debt. We now worry about things like our credit score. We worry whether we will qualify to get a loan or whether we will be approved for a credit card. We stress out over our ability to go into debt because we have been convinced that the road to happiness comes from the trivial things of this world and that happiness and contentment will only come to us by way of the things that most of us can never afford on our own. So we're convinced that we have to enslave ourselves to get it. We have to enslave ourselves to be happy, but we don't need debt. We need deliverance. The answer to our world's problems will not come from a bank. The solution won't come from the government. It won't come from Wall Street. It won't come from the United Nations or the Council on Foreign Relations. But the fix for our troubles can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ and his church because we offer the gospel. We offer the good news, the only answer that will set people completely free. I want you to hear what this old preacher is telling you. One of the things that you have to come to understand is the power of God that resides within his church. For many people, even for many believers, their perception of the church is very shallow. They see the church as a building or as a business. They, they view the church as a place to congregate and to do ministry, but they don't understand the power and the responsibility that God has given to it. In Mark 16 and verse 15, Jesus commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm not sure we understand that command. Here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set free those who are bruised. The gospel that Jesus was speaking of is the good news that God has commissioned his church to share. But it's not just the good news that he can forgive their sin and save them from an eternal hell. But it's also the good news that he can supply for their needs. It is the good news that he can protect them from their enemies. It is the good news that he can heal them when they're sick. It is the good news that our powerful and loving God can fix what they're unable to fix on their own, and he can mend what they thought would always be broken. It is the good news of Jubilee. Jesus has commanded us, preach the good news. You see, the good news is you don't have to live like you're living. You don't have to be stuck where you are. There is a way out. There is a better life. There's a brighter future. But I can tell by the look on some of your faces that you don't believe what I'm telling you. It sounds good, Pastor, but it won't work for me. My problems are too big. You just don't understand what I have to deal with. My debt is overwhelming. My mistakes and my poor decisions are what I deserve. And there's no means of me even trying to get out of it. But I want you to listen to the good news. The good news is you don't have to fight what you've been fighting. The good news is you don't have to lose what you've been losing, but God can deliver you from it all and set you free like you have never been free before. That is the gospel. If the gospel was only about heaven and hell, 
it would be of no practical good. If it was only about saving people from sin and giving them heaven when they die, we would only have to preach to dying people. But Jesus has told us in John 10.10, 10, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He wasn't talking about houses and cars and dollars in the bank. He wasn't talking about a carefree life where you're laying on the beach and soaking up the sun. But he was speaking of a new marriage. He was talking about a new family and a new attitude and a new peace and a new joy and a new outlook on life. Jesus was speaking about the things that really matter. God has given his church the answer to the world's problems, but we have grown silent. We don't have enough conviction to stand our ground, and we don't have enough faith to move forward. Instead of loudly and boldly preaching the good news of the gospel, we have grown silent. We have grown silent because we don't believe what God has told us. I think that it's time that we in the church get noisier about the power of God. It's time that we become the movers and shakers in our world. It's time that the community knows where we are. It's time that we become the aggressors and we go on the offensive. It's time that we march into the enemy's camp and take back what he's stolen from us. It's time that we declare to the devil that he has no authority in this place. This is our land. This is God's possession. And he has no longer free reign to do as he pleases. We need to stop worrying about becoming a victim. God's people are losing too much sleep. They're drinking too much Maalox and taking too many nerve pills. They're worrying about what the enemy might do next. They cower in silence and they roll over and they take what the enemy is dishing out. They're afraid to get a bad name. They're afraid of being arrested. They're afraid of going to Facebook jail. So they remain silent. Church, we know how this story ends. We know what's coming next. We know who's going to win. Let the devil lose some sleep for a while. Believers today waste too much time worrying about covert operations, terrorism, and secret government plots. They spend too much time looking for hidden messages and trying to crack secret codes. But what we need to do is declare war on our one and only enemy. We need to announce to the devil that he can't take free shots at our family anymore. He can't wreak havoc in our marriage anymore. We need to stand up to him in the power of our God and declare in his face that this is our community, it's our school, it's our business, and we're taking it for the Lord. We have to force the issue with him, push it down his throat, and be radical enough to make him loose us and let us go. This world needs deliverance. People need jubilee. And we need to lead the way. In the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle. You've been in journey, you know what the tabernacle is. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. I keep telling you, but I'm not sure that you're hearing me. Everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Know that. Understand that. Uh, Every book, every chapter, and every verse in the Bible points to Jesus. If you're reading your Bible and you're missing him, then read it again. If you're reading it and you're not seeing Jesus, then read it again. The tabernacle and everything about the tabernacle pointed to Jesus. It wasn't just a tent. It wasn't just a church. It wasn't just a place of worship. But it was God's way of revealing to us who he is. Jesus is the eastern gate, the one and only entrance. 
Jesus is the lamb that sacrificed on the altar. Jesus is the tabernacle itself. He is the holiest place. He is the ark of God's covenant. He is our great high priest. Everything points to Jesus. I told somebody yesterday, when Jesus died on the cross and he said it's finished, the veil to the temple was split open, revealing an empty room. The ark of the covenant was not in there that the people were familiar with because the real ark of the covenant was hanging on the cross. The tabernacle was situated in the center of God's people. They were encamped around it. It was on the town square, so to speak. Whether they lived on the north side or the south side, the east side or the western side, their homes all faced the tabernacle. It was the first thing they saw when they stepped out of their home to approach a new day and the last thing they saw before they entered their tent to sleep at night. God put himself in the center of their existence. But it's not like that anymore. Jesus isn't at the center of our life. He's not at the center of our home, and he's not at the center of our families. He has been pushed to the side. He is a secondary importance. We need him when we're hurting. We need him when we're sick. We, we need him when we're in trouble and when we die. But other than that, we deem our creator as unnecessary and irrelevant. He is not at the center of our life. The Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God rested upon the tabernacle. There was an ominous cloud that hovered over the tabernacle by day and a pillar of fire that stood above it at night. Everybody knew where the tabernacle was. Everybody knew that the presence and the power of God was there. Even those who didn't believe could see God's presence. Our God is an awesome God. He is to be respected, a God to be feared and revered. He's a God of matchless power. He's a God of, that impacts every situation that he steps into. He transforms every circumstance that he enters with revolutionary, life-changing, status quo-shattering power. But you need to understand that God has given the same power to his church. It's the church that points people to Jesus. At least that's what we're supposed to do. The church bears all of the power necessary, not just to save those who are lost in sin, but also the power to feed the hungry, the power to befriend the lonely, the power to encourage those who are discouraged, the power to mend broken marriages, the power to heal the sick physically, emotionally, or spiritually. God has given the power to forgive and restore those who have fallen. He's given us the power to impact our community, its families, its school, its economy, and its health. God has given his church the power of jubilee. Everybody ought to know where the church is. Around here, I think they do. What's that big church out there in the corner? I never really thought of us as a big church, but when you live in northwest Ohio, this is what we think is a big church. But everybody ought to know where the church is. Our existence should be central to our community. People should be able to step out of their homes every new day and know that the power of God rests on this place. They should know if they need help, they can come here and get it. They should know if they need forgiveness, they can come here and find it. They should know that if they need help in their marriage or encouragement with their children, they can come here and receive it because God's church is a place of deliverance. Everybody ought to know where the church is and that God is here. When Jesus came into a city, the magistrates, the principals, and the city leaders knew of his presence. He worked in such a way that everybody knew that he was there. They knew that Jesus was in their city because he changed things. The places where Jesus went were transformed simply because of his presence. People who were hungry were miraculously filled. 
Those who were crippled stood up and they started walking around. Blind people were seeing, deaf people were hearing, the hopeless weren't hopeless anymore because Jesus was there and he bore in him the power of God. Now you have to understand how this works. When the power of our holy, eternal, sovereign God comes in proximity of this imperfect world, it isn't God who changes but it is the situation that he comes near that changes. It's the person that he comes near that changes. It's the sickness that he comes near that changes. It's the marriage that he comes near that changes. It's the rebellious child that he comes near that changes. It is the hopeless cause that he comes near that changes. That is the power of God. That is the power that God's church holds, and that is the power of the gospel. In verse 16 of our text, we're told that Jesus, while in Nazareth, as his habit was, Underline that in your Bible. As his habit was, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Going to church or not going to church is a habit. I was fortunate enough to be reared in a home where going to church was a habit. It was never, ever questioned. Nobody ever got up on Sunday morning and said, we're going to go to church today. It's who we were, and it's what we did. As Mark Lowry said one time, my dad was a deacon, and he was a dictator. And when the church door was open, we were there. Even if the preacher unlocked the building just to wash the windows, we filled a pew and we watched him do it. Going to church was Jesus' habit. When Jesus went into the synagogue on this particular Sabbath day, they handed to him the scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he turned to what is now chapter 61, and he began to read aloud, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to blind, to set free them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. What he was talking about was Jubilee. There was nothing wrong with the text that Jesus chose. It was a very good scripture, and he read it very well, but then Jesus closed the scroll, and he sat down. With everyone's eyes fixed intently upon him, he said, Today, Isaiah's words are fulfilled in your ears. He was telling them that the scripture that he just read was talking about him, and he offended every traditional Jew in the place. Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming that he was Jubilee. They were so offended and so angered at his words that they tried to drag him outside of town and push him off of a cliff. But they couldn't do it because you can't kill God. (laughs) He just walked through them and untouched and went on his way. There's some in the church today who don't like the Bible coming alive in their midst. They don't mind attending a church service. They don't mind singing a few songs. They don't even mind hearing a sermon. But their hair starts raising up on the back of their neck and their blood pressure starts to go up when the Word of God comes to life and begins moving. They get bothered when God's Word touches a drunk and he stops drinking. They get offended when it touches an abusive husband and he stops beating his wife. They start shuffling for excuses when it touches somebody diagnosed with cancer and they're made whole. They come all unglued when the power of God touches a poor sinner and transforms them into a child of God. And they start looking for the door when an old saint gets so filled with the Spirit that they drop their cane and start dancing down the aisle of the church. They're offended. Church, I think it's high time we become offensive. I think it's time that we have enough faith and get bold enough about what God has said that we actually start doing what he has said. 
It's time that we stop listening to the whiners and complainers. It's time to stop listening to the traditionalists and those who want to remain anchored to the past. It's time we stop trying to please the unpleasable and stop worrying whether the temperature of the sanctuary is too hot or too cold or the sound system is too loud or too soft and who shook hands with who and just start doing what God says even if it offends somebody. You see, I'm on my way out. I'm on my way out. What are you going to do to me? What are you going to do? That's why I'm only preaching every few weeks, because you couldn't take this every week. Not that you don't get beat up every week when Jimmy gets up here, but uh, some of y'all just gluttons for punishment, you know. We'll sit in the front row. We like that, you know. Uh, Jesus went on to say in verse 25, he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Boy, that, that would be refreshing now, wouldn't it? There's so many liars in this world. There's so many people trying to pull the wool over our eyes and take advantage of us that it sure would be nice to hear somebody tell us the truth. But you see, we've grown so skeptical, I'm not sure that we would believe the truth even if we heard it. I told everybody Wednesday night, if the truth makes you uncomfortable, don't get mad at the truth, but get mad at the lie that makes you comfortable. That's good. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you the truth. He said, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's day. When the heavens were shut up so that it did not rain for three and a half years, and there was famine throughout the land. But Elijah was only sent to one widow woman, whose cruise of oil never ran dry and whose barrel of meal never ran out. Only one. Jesus was telling them that Elijah, who they considered to be one of the greatest prophets of all time, could only deliver one woman and her son while hundreds of others died of starvation. What was Jesus trying to do? Elijah was a great prophet. He was a hero of their faith, and Jesus was making him sound like a failure. He said there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, but only one of them was healed, the man named Naaman. While they considered Elisha to be a great man of God, he still only delivered one man, while countless other people died of leprosy. People were beginning to get uncomfortable. They were getting offended. Who does this man think he is? Who does he think he is? Jesus was showing the incompleteness and the ineffectiveness of those who came before him. Even the greatest heroes of their faith had limitations. Their prophets, who were revered down through the ages, were surrounded by more failure than success. There are many temporary solutions to our problems. We can take a pill and ease our pain for a few hours. We can take a drink and cover our problems for a night. We can buy ourselves something new and feel good for a while, but they are all temporary solutions. The crowd was already miffed at him. But then Jesus dropped the bomb. He said, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. For this sacred scripture is fulfilled in ears because I'm Jubilee. Whoa. God has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. He's anointed me to set the captives free because I am Jubilee. Everything points to Jesus. Men and women today are seeking something that will set them free. 
They want to be delivered from their present situation. They say, this is my problem. This is what's destroying my life, and I'm not interested in anything else until this is taken care of. I'm not interested in a heavenly home while I need help in my earthly home. Don't talk to me about the family of God when I need help with my husband or my wife or my kids. I can't get excited about a mansion on the street of gold. I just want to be able to meet the needs of the people that I love. Don't give me promises of eternal benefits, but give me something that will help me right now. I need Jubilee. Church, Jesus preached the gospel to 5,000 people, but he fed them first. He preached salvation to lepers and to the lame and to the deaf. But he healed them first. Church, that's our mission. That's our calling. God has anointed us to preach the gospel. But not just to tell people to repent and be forgiven of their sins and then walk away and pat ourselves on the back for the fine job that we've done. But God has anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to open prison doors and resort tight to the blind. He's commissioned us and empowered us to bring the power of deliverance, the power of jubilee to our world. We preach salvation here. If you don't know that, you're deaf. We preach salvation here. We preach it on TV and on the radio and over social media. We preach salvation and we preach forgiveness that can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. We preach repentance and a change of life and a change of lifestyle. But the gospel doesn't stop there. There's more to it than just telling people that they need to repent. And that's why we feed 130 children in Mexico every week. That's why we minister to the PATH Center. That's why we support Hands of Hope as they minister to unwed mothers. You can say that you're against abortion, but if you refuse to help people live, you're not what you say you are. We don't, send, we don't send This Is Hope to Africa to preach repentance. We send them there to help single mothers safely give birth and give their child a chance to live. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's Jubilee. When Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, he commanded life to reign over death. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who had been physically dead for days, came back to life again. But that now living man waddled, came waddling out of the grave, bound in his grave clothes. He was wrapped like a mummy in the bandages that were meant for the dead, and Jesus turned to those who were standing there, and he said, you loose him and let him go. Jesus knew that even though Lazarus was alive, he couldn't live like a living man while he was still wrapped in the bonds of death. Somebody had to peel away the layers. Somebody had to peel away the blinders from his eyes so he could see like a living man sees. Somebody had to peel away the cover from his ears so he could hear like a living man hears. Somebody had to unwrap his arms and unwrap his legs so he could be free to go and to do the things that a living man does. That is our job, church. That is our ministry. That is the gospel. God has given to us the ministry of Jubilee. In 2 Corinthians 6-2, the Bible says, I have heard you in the time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of jubilee. Now is the day of salvation. If you need deliverance, now is the time. If you need to quit a bad habit and start a good one, now is the time. If you're sick and you need healing, now is the time. If you're being persecuted and you need God's protection, now is the time. 
If you have a need physically, financially, psychologically, spiritually, now is the time. If there's trouble in your marriage, now is the time. If you're experiencing problems raising your children, you're frustrated and you don't know what to do, now is the time. Kneel at this altar and we'll kneel next to you. We'll help you pray a prayer of repentance and find forgiveness for your sin. We'll lead you to our Savior who will put your past under his blood and set you completely free. And then when you get up from the altar, we're going to stay with you. We'll help you. We'll train you. We'll show you a better way. That's the gospel. That's jubilee. You don't have to accept defeat. Maybe you've lost some things that you're convinced you'll never get back. You think that life can never be like it once was, that your past is past, and the devil's trying to convince you that it's over and you just need to move on. But the devil's a liar. God can give back to you what the enemy has stolen from you. God said, I'll give back to you what the locusts have eaten. We can, you can have a new beginning. Beginning. And that's why we're here. That's why God's church exists. It's why God has established this place. God hasn't just given us the power over sin and hell. But he's given us the power and the ministry of deliverance. We hold the power of jubilee. Father, I thank you today that you've given us this great gift. God, we look out the windows of the church and we see a world that is an awful mess. And in most of our minds, we're looking at it and we're saying, that, well, that can't be fixed. It's too far gone. They're too messed up. But that's not what you said. <laughs> that's not what you've told us. There's no problem so big. There's no mess too big. There's no enemy too strong that you can't take over because you are Jubilee once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. God, I pray for those who need it today that they won't allow this moment to pass them by. And God, I pray for your people that we will understand that we have a mission. We have work to do. We can't just shout out some scripture yell at people and tell them they need to repent we need to show them there's a better life out there with Jesus to come alongside of them and help them to grow God I thank you today for your presence here minister to us in these final moments might your will be done in Jesus name you have been listening to Reverend James Fry from Free Christian Church of God in Continental Ohio we hope you have enjoyed today's message, and we would like to invite you to visit us next Sunday morning. Our Sunday morning services begin with Sunday school at 9.30, followed by the worship service at 10.30. Free Christian Church of God is located on the corner of State Route 15 and State Route 634, just north of Continental. For more information regarding this or other ministries, call the church office at area code 419-596-3103, or visit our website at www.freecog.org. This has been a Free Christian Church of God audio outreach ministries production.